Aloha, everyone. Welcome to Disability with Malama. My name is Leland. And I'm Roxanne. And I'm Rachel. We are so happy to have you join us today. Disability with Malama is AILH's podcast where we discuss all things disability in the state of Hawaii. In this episode, we are happy to speak with Mike Pobletti and Kat Rothman. Welcome, Mike and Kat. Thank Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. Um, One of the first questions we wanted to ask was, how did you find AILH and what made you reach out to us? Um, well, we had talked early on um, when Mike was still working on the script and we didn't even know um, a whole lot about when we were going to perform or anything like that about trying mm-hmm. to find a community organization to partner with to kind of extend the work that the show is trying to do into the possibility of action for audience members who come see the show, who mm-hmm. we hope will be energized and have questions and maybe want to take some of that energy and direct it somewhere. So we think that's a really important component of what theater can do. And we were looking for organizations online and um, found um, (laughs) you guys and just thought that um, we saw that there was just a lot of um, um, work going on in terms of creating support groups and um, things like that, that incorporated the arts. So we thought that that might um, mean you guys might be into working with um, an organization who believed in the power of art to change things. And mm-hmm. um, we just saw you guys as a hub that was really working directly with folks with disabilities to put them in touch with all of these services and to kind of, from what we could see, be that stopgap who's really in in there working directly with the people who um, need access to these services. So we just thought it seemed like a really great fit. Well, thank you again so much for reaching out to us. I know when I received the email, I was um, pleasantly surprised because we have never explored this type of avenue of spreading the word. And I'm all about creativity. And, you know, it doesn't matter how we can get the word out. I think it's just getting the information out there, but the best way we can so folks can be as informed and make educated decisions, right? So I think the power of information is very crucial. And through theater, which is something we've never explored, I was so excited. And so I, I you know, had to re- respond to Mike's email and I was like, what are these guys about? Let me, you know, give them a call and have them share it. And when you shared with me um, a little bit about yourselves and what you're doing, I said, oh my gosh, this is something so new to us and I love it and embrace it. So again, thank you for reaching out to us. Well, and thank you. We're, we were just um, so excited that you were willing to work with us on this. So. Of course. So first thing, you have a play coming up that we are promoting, and it is called You're Not Sick. So what can the audience experience? Or what can they expect when they go to see You're Not Sick? Um, sure. Well, the basic premise is uh, the protagonist is a individual who has an unexplained illness arrive uh, quite suddenly that leaves her disabled, uh, leaving her to navigate uh, life in a completely new and different way. Um, and the impetus for writing this is largely based on Kat's real disability that we have been navigating for the last few years. Um, And we've learned a lot about 
what it means to be an enabler society. We've learned a lot just about ourselves and the world that we live in. We've also encountered quite a lot of frustrations of just trying to uh, deal with medical entities, dealing with day-to-day -day people, dealing with folks who seem to have a lot of opinions about what it looks like for someone to walk down the street with a cane. Um, and being artists, we uh, just wanted to channel all of that into um, something that we think is going to be, uh, we hope dramatic, we hope engaging, but we also mm -hmm. hope to be quite funny. Um, because it's taken us a little bit of time to have a sense of humor about all this, but we got there. Um, and mm -hmm. now, now that we're there, um, you know, I think it's a little cathartic for us, at least for me, I don't want to speak for Kat, um, to, to be able to take some of these, uh, kind of archetypes, these people that we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis and sort of, um, lampoon that a little bit, hopefully as a community kind of um, uh, share some of that moments. We hope some people will see a little bit of their own experiences in that and feel like they're not so alone. Um, but ultimately, you, you know, it's a fast paced one hour play. It's not too long. And we just hope that regardless of where you come from and your knowledge of uh, disability or illness or ableism, that you're just going to come and have a good time. Mm -hmm. So Kat, um, did you have this play already in your mind or was this something that you had to develop? Because I know Mike wrote it based yes. off of your real life experience of, you know, acquiring your disability and what you had to go through. But was this when you're, you know, doing the play, did you have to think it all out in your mind of how this was going to come to fruition? What was that process for you? Well, that's a great question. And you know what? I have to say, um, Mike is really the driving force behind the fact that this play exists. So I really do have to give him kind of credit for that. I guess, you know, you know, it's one of those things, your own daily life experiences never seem like they're that interesting to you yourself. And it mm -hmm. never, it would never would have occurred to me to try to put this into a script. But of course, um, you know, I, I, throughout all of this, I'm talking to Mike about my interactions with my doctors, with my, you know, the person like, um, who's maybe taking me to my appointment that day, or, you know, the different, um, people who became the inspiration for these characters that Mike created. Um, and as he started putting it together, he he started incorporating me, of course, more into the process. Um, he'd like say, all right, I have this. Um, it's it is a monologue play. So it is mm -hmm. all, you know, one side of these conversations that we're getting from these characters interacting with Ava, um, the protagonist. And um so he'd read me one of the monologues and say, you know, what do you what do you think? And I'd say, well, you know, I like this, but this um, I feel like the really important core part of my experience was actually more about that. And so then he would make tweaks. So we really did um, get collaborating on it. But like I said, I would never have thought to put something like this into something that could go on stage without him. And so um, I I'm so grateful to him um, as uh, a lovely uh playwright uh, partner, as well as my life partner and my caretaker, um, and the fact that he's given me an opportunity to direct because of the nature of this play. You know, I'm not able to go and direct shows right now around town anymore, um, like at, you know, the Hawaii Shakespeare Festival or Kumukuhua Theater, say. Um, so this was really very special and meaningful to me to have the opportunity to be back in the director's chair again. I really like that it's coming from your experiences, and I feel like, um, one, I feel like that's very important and we appreciate you being able to open up about your life and experience in this kind of avenue. Um, as I was 
perusing the script that you so graciously sent us, I noticed that Ava, we never see her and we never hear her. And like you said, it's a monologue play. So you always hear one side of the conversation. Why do you feel like, why was that the direction you wanted to go? And I, and I have a thought, but I wanted to hear what your thought was. Um, I I suppose there are two main thoughts there. I mean, I I was sort of, you know, my writer brain was tinkering around with something to uh, explore what we have been going through for the last few years. We tried a few different iterations and nothing quite worked and just felt like whatever voice I gave to this person didn't really encapsulate it. You know, and um, I just kept thinking of how often Kat feels silenced, how often they feel talked at. Um, and I thought, what if we just hear that other side of the conversation? Let's just start, you know, writing some monologues, see how it goes. And it started flowing really well. So from a structural standpoint, it just started um, making sense. It's I, it's like I, I think about when I read a book and my favorite books just give me enough details and I, as the reader, construct everything else. So um, I realized that by removing the protagonist, that that allows the audience to start projecting a lot of themselves in there um, and hopefully makes it a little easier to see some of themselves and what this person's going through, regardless of their background. Um, and the other reason is uh, basically what I just said, that it also puts the audience in the shoes of that person, um, which is largely what we're going for here to give folks that don't know much about um, what disabled folks face every day, um, some sense of that by, you know, maybe for a little bit of time, making just a little bit uncomfortable um, to, right. to, you know, just a little bit of that. It really puts the whole walking in somebody's shoes. How would you feel if this happened to you? It really, like you said, it really makes them feel that, especially because I'm sure they might say Ava's name. I didn't want to read all of it because I didn't want to spoil it completely for myself. (laughs) But, um, you know, especially if a lot of the characters don't necessarily mention Ava by name, they could feel like it'll, they're feeling like they're talking to themselves. Like, They are directly talking to you. This is what they're saying to you. Now, how do you feel about the doctor saying that? Well, you know, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Like, are you sure? Like, you know what I mean? So I know that didn't make any sense when I said it, but it made sense in my head. So. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I think I think that made perfect sense. And, you know, just to kind of add on, like, you know, as as the director, um, like my goal is for the audience to really feel like the performers are talking to them to really force them to be in the shoes of Ava and try to relate to that and force them to experience some of that um, during the show. And then hopefully also leave them wanting for Ava's voice. I think that that's a great thing at the end if they're also left like really thinking about this individual whose experiences they've been kind of having thrown, you know, at them uh, for the last hour or so. Um, And if this is of interest too, we actually do have um, a person in the rehearsal room with us who won't be seen on stage, who's actually also our amazingly talented lighting designer, but who is sitting in for Ava in the rehearsals. So that way, even though Ava is sort of me, sort of not, um, but that way I can keep my 
head in the show is the director and this other um, person who's also a talented actor, in addition to being a designer, um, they're going to be able to sort of give feedback to the actors on, you know, how it feels as Ava. And we can kind of have those sort of typical character conversations you would have with an actor to really fully develop these relationships that they have with Ava um, in the rehearsal room to kind of help support all of that in terms of the ultimate audience experience. I think it should be noted that that uh, talented designer and actor is also disabled themselves. Uh, yes. They've been a friend of ours, but there are, you know, multiple representation on the show in that regard. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's really great that you are being reflective of, you know, your your casting is reflective of what you're trying to get out in terms of the message. I just wanted to just touch back on what you're saying. And I know working in the disability field since 91, you know, a lot of times when I come across individuals, it's hard for them to empathize what's happening unless it personally affects them. You know, like I can talk about so many different disability related issues and try to um, get their support, whether it's through the legislators and making policy changes or just even changes in businesses, you know, to to make the sidewalks uh, more accessible or have more accessible parking, whatever it is. And sometimes you're going to get a lot of resistance. And um, what I've learned over the years is because they've never experienced it themselves or they don't have a family member that they can relate to. Now, as we get older, we're realizing there's a lot of age related disabilities, but also right now there are many forms of disabilities that we are uh, being introduced to that you, they didn't have a word for it back then. You know, and until someone is experiencing it, they just don't know what that person's going through and they just can't even imagine or even think out of the box of how they can make a change. And sometimes a change is just so small. You know, it's really small, but it can really impact the greater community. So I, I love the idea of Ava not being seen and the message of what you're trying to say. It, you know, this character can be anybody, you know, put yourself in my shoes. And this is the the obstacles and the challenges and 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 just the reception that I've received just navigating my own life, you know, and all I really want to do is have the same opportunity and the same chances as anybody, whether you have a disability or not, you know, so um, this this play to me is is uh, something that's very meaningful and very powerful. And I know, you know, um, it's going to be wonderful. I can't wait to see it. And I hope we get a lot of people who will attend and be able to appreciate the message because I think you are doing a really wonderful way of of just sharing that information where it's, you know, it's, I think we're all tired of public speeches, right? We get so many politicians promising so many things, but it takes forever for them to be able to make these things happen. And this is just another way of sharing the information, but in a creative way. And I think it's easier maybe for somebody to be able to process that information because of the way that you are um, sharing that information. So I just wanted to just add that little piece. Yeah, I think, um, thank you for saying that. And um, I think, you know, Mike and I, as people who've been doing theater uh, since we were um, much younger, I, I, we um, are just both big believers in the power of stories um, and empathy as just really big tools that we can often overlook, but um, really um, can make such a big difference uh, society-wide, right? Like our societies are built on stories ultimately. And so we hope that this little story, um, yeah, can be just a way of connecting with people in a different way. I um, I was listening to your podcast and there's an episode uh, at the end of last year 
um, forgive me, I forget the uh, the guests that you had on uh, and their, their organization was a coalition, but I forget which one, sorry. Um, but she was telling a story about how uh, she kept going to the doctor and she was talking about the hook on the back of the door that it was too tall and, you know, it was really inaccessible to folks with disabilities or really just anyone who's not very tall. And it took like this very quiet nagging, she called it like being a gnat, which I thought was a lovely analogy. But you, you know, it sort of brought home for me this idea that like, it's never one thing. You don't like hear one speech or see one piece of legislation or hear one story and your mind gets turned. Like it has to be from all different angles over and over and slowly uh, this whole process for anything to change. So, you know, we only set out to, uh, to tell a story that we thought was compelling to try to um, share just a little bit of what we've been going through because we thought it was just objectively engaging and interesting. Um, but if by doing that, we're able to contribute to that conversation and provide just another angle, just a different way to hear that, then um, then that makes us very proud. That makes us feel like, you, you know, it goes a little beyond just entertainment for an hour, which I want to emphasize it also is, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can just go and have a good time and not think about it. That's okay. I'd prefer if you didn't, but like, that's also cool. But, you, you know, if like Kat says, in our little way, we're able to like contribute something else, then that that's great. So the, the person you were mentioning is Dr. Violet Horvath, and the coalition is called Disability Healthcare Coalition, which was founded by Dr. Violet Horvath, myself, and Dr. Christina Higa. And so that was one of the things I was telling you about as far as our partnership with the University of Hawaii, um, where we have different part, um we're doing different projects and that's one of them. And it is to address the lack of accessibility, you know, when it comes to medicine, you know, and in all facets, it's just not the doctors, it's the therapists, it's, you know, just the whole community in general. Um, again, that's just one component, um, Dr. Violet, um, myself, and there's another medical student, and I can't remember the other doctor's name, but I just learned recently that there is no actual class about how to teach doctors how to care for a person with a disability. They teach you how to care for the disease, but not for the person with a disability. So one of her goals, um, Dr. Violet Horvath, has been for years just trying to figure out how can we make this a part of the curriculum? Well, we finally got in contact with someone and, and then Violet, you know, emailed me and said, okay, come on, Roxanne, let's go get on this again. So I'm like, uh, there's like three or four different multiple projects I'm working on with the University of Hawaii. And I, I, I'm happy about it because we have the consumers that they're talking about, you know, so when they're looking for actual testimony, when they're looking for actual examples, uh, when these doctors have to go out in the field and do their, their, their practical learning, we can supply them with the consumers so they can see what it's like, you know, when you are dealing with multiple dis uh, disabilities, because we have to serve a cross disability population. We're not disability specific. If you have a disability, we have to serve it, you know, and so this gives the, the medical student an opportunity to have so many different varieties, you know, if they're just pegged, just doing one particular disability, you need to gain the experience, you know, learning how to serve somebody else with a different type of disability. But um, I just thought, thought that was interesting. Like, how could the medical program 
nobody even thought about teaching doctors how to care for a person with a disability. It just it just blew my mind that just that just didn't even exist. But through um, my conversations with Violet is, you know, something that she shared. So thank you for bringing that up, because um, I wanted to give a plug out there to our Disability Healthcare Coalition, because we just founded that we had our first um, disabilities healthcare symposium in January. And we're looking to have, you know, more um, as the years go on and involve more of the medical, uh, you know, professionals. That's incredible. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for, for making that happen and doing that advocacy. I, I noticed that on your script as well, you mentioned the trigger warnings, which as an avid reader, I do appreciate when authors include trigger warnings because they didn't used to do that. And I feel like I haven't been to a play in a while, but I feel like they don't normally do that. So why was it important for you to state those? And I'm glad you did, but why, why do you feel like it was important to state those? Um, I do think theater is moving in a direction where we are being more cognizant um, of folks coming from all kinds of different backgrounds. I mean, ultimately, we're not aiming to um, stir trauma that an audience member or reader, in your case, um, is unprepared to venture into. Um, you, you know, we, like I said before, a little bit of discomfort for the sake of awareness and conversation starting can often be a good thing. Um, a great deal of discomfort, bring them to a place they don't want to go is not what we're trying to do. So, um, to that end, trigger warnings are important and fortunately they're becoming more common. And I just, to add to that, I think we're also just expanding in the theater world in terms of how we conceive of safety for both actors and audiences. And so, yes, it's of course important to let people know, you know, uh, about uh, flashing lights or strobe lights, for example, um, you know, I need that warning, I have visual sensitivities, um, but, you know, also, isn't it great to warn people about um, content that might um, induce a you know, a recurrence of uh, trauma uh, reaction inside somebody or something like that. We do want to make sure that everybody kind of knows what they're getting in for. But um, with this play, um, so some of the difficult content uh, audiences could experience um, involves, uh, sh you know, showing ableism, showing sexism. Um, and I think the biggest um, thing for our audience, potential audience members to note is that we do talk about um, the mental health impacts um, of uh, disability as it, you know, impacts Ava, the protagonist and um, suicidal um, thoughts and um, ideation that that uh, do happen in the play. Um, but we do do our best to treat everything uh, with the thoughtfulness and the respect that we feel it deserves. It's not that we're treating any of these um, topics lightly. Um, and um, but hopefully we do also feel like ultimately the play is, like Mike said, something that is um, accessible to people and something that people can come in and enjoy a lot of humor and um, hope and light as well as some of these darker issues. Yeah, it's it's a dark comedy. It is a comedy ultimately, but, you know, it's a dark one. We're talking about yes. disability and um, I like to think we don't shy away from some of the more the, the more difficult topics. Uh, that that could get into because, you know, we're ultimately trying to be truthful to Kat's experience. We're not trying to speak on behalf of anyone else, um, but we're we're hoping that by being truthful to that experience, um, others will see something of themselves. But, you, you know, to pretend that it is not extremely difficult and challenging and that um, there is a major mental health toll uh, would be disingenuous. So, you know, that's that's there as well, for sure. 
I just wanted to quickly share and to continue to voice at least my personal praise for you guys in um, doing this because um, although I, although I'm not a person with disability, I I the way you are crafting this play is definitely um, hitting some heartstrings within me because I think it's just so applicable for. Um, some experiences I've had as being a minority and uh, being a child of divorce and all of these things. It's difficult, um, just like you just like you said, to um, put a single voice to that entire experience. I also wanted to ask, um, <laughs> in addition to sharing your praises, of, do you have any plans of doing any other place like this? Um, yeah, why don't you take that, Kat? <laughs> well, okay. Well, thank, thank you so much for your kind words. Um, it really means a lot to us. Um, and yes, yeah, so this uh, show is um, part of Corpus Productions, which is a little um, nonprofit theater organization that Mike and I um, um, put together a couple of years ago. Um, we have our eye on all kinds of different, I think, social justice oriented theater projects. So I, we don't know for sure what's next, but, um, you know, we've done some devised theater um, looking at different issues um, where our goal is. So devised theater means that you get a group of people in a room and you don't have any script or anything to start from and you work together to create something. So we worked with um, students at Waipahu High School for a couple of semesters, basically just giving them the tools so they could run with um, creating their own theater, talking about the stories they cared about. Um, so I know we're hoping to do more work like that. Um, and hopefully some more plays like this that we feel like really can um, give voice to stories that um, I think more people could benefit from hearing. Um, I think, again, kind of coming back to like storytelling and empathy, like Mike said, you know, this is just a, what we're talking about is just we know a very, very small piece of very, very big, complicated conversation. But we feel like as much as we can um, do our part to just help um, foster those conversations um, and give platforms for stories that maybe we haven't seen too much on stage. Uh, that's kind of what Corpus Productions is um, wanting to be a part of. I don't know if you have anything to add to that, Mike. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I will say this show is definitely a pivot for us. Our other shows have been uh, much more of an applied direction. So applied theater is basically like outside of traditional uh, theater institutional models where like you pay, you see a show, we're trying to give you a show that's going to be worth your money. Maybe we're a little profit, maybe we don't. Uh, Applied is really much more about getting involved in the community, trying to um, help people that don't necessarily have the tools to tell their stories do just that. So like Kat said, we worked uh, with high school kids in Waipahu. That was during the pandemic. So we made two shows with them. The first time uh, was during remote learning. So that was entirely digital, entirely remote. Um, second time was in person. So was, you know, just kind of the, the issues that they saw most pressing in their lives at that time. Our first show we did at the University of Hawaii, we both came out of that theater program, um, was examining the role of gender in contemporary Hawaii. Um, and we worked with six individuals that uh, do not identify as cisgendered for that one. So um, we don't normally make traditionally scripted theater, dramatic theater, we, uh, and we're typically not telling our own stories. Um, but this time it felt like the, the right time that, you know, what we're going through is it's, it's our turn to talk about what's going on with us because it's important. 
Um, so in terms of our next projects, we don't really know. We ventured into education a little bit. We're working on a handbook to apply a little bit of our um, devising and applied methodologies. Uh, high school teachers, junior high teachers um, can help uh, tell the kind of stories that we've been telling with their own students. Um, we're just uh, publishing a, a new academic work talking about um, some of our work in terms of gender justice. So we're a little bit all over the place um, right now, but you know, in terms of this one, we're definitely all in. It's obviously very personal. Um, and it's obviously a lot for Kat to be able to manage all this with their disabilities. So um, we're, we're basically taking this one, just one project at a time before we even think about what's next. And the um, the project you were mentioning, the one at University of Hawaii, was that the Court of Ephemeral Memory? Oh, wow. You, you did your research. Um, <laughs> that, that one, uh, no, that that was um, that was actually the product of a class that we were in. Um, oh, okay. And they did like a showcase um, at the end of the semester that was open to the public. So that that was very um, just kind of experimental avant-garde theater. Uh, we were so, sort of so speaking of uh, being the product of uh, divorced parents, that one actually explored elements of my childhood, um, getting to this idea of like he said, she said. So we tried to create an audience experience where they'd be presented with different sides of a key moment in the divorce um, and letting them sort of decide what they believed, what they didn't believe as a way to kind of get in my shoes of what I was feeling at that age and kind of getting a little bit older. So uh, you're right, technically that was our first show, but it was very, very primordial. Um, so no, it was a show called Corpus Interruptus, which is, you know, a nerdy sex joke, basically. But um, getting into this idea of um, embodiment and uh, what rights we have over our own bodies. And that is what we then named our production company after Corpus Productions. Can I ask you real quick about your um, Circle Redempto Nuosu in Zichang, China? Do you, do you remember that one? <laughs> yeah, oh, well, so that was um, that was just um, uh, an opportunity that that I had um, as um, when I was um, in the grad program at UH. Um, there's an amazing faculty member there named Mark Branner who's been running this applied theater program um, that's based in uh, central uh, China, Sichuan Province, China, for uh, ooh, a couple. Uh, at least 15, I'd say, or so years now that basically um, I got to um, travel there and do the sort of work that we're talking about where we gave. Um, so the Nosu people, that's a um, an ethnic minority population within China, um, sometimes called the Nosu Yi, because the Yi is like a big umbrella term that they've lumped other ethnic minorities under anyway. So these, um, they're just a group of young people we worked with all ages. Um, to give them the tools for them to create their own stories. And basically some of the older students who'd gone through the program then kind of organized that into a tour. And they were able to tour that production, which used um, like a lot of like shadow puppetry and a lot of really cool ideas the students brought um, to uh, take the stories to their different villages and um, share those that play. So it was a, a great, one of the most amazing experiences I've had doing applied theater, um, learned a whole, whole lot um that that inspired me um so this was this was before um before i had my my chronic illness which started in um spring of 2020 so yeah 
Sorry, I was really curious about that. No, no, that's great. I will come back for a separate podcast episode and we can just talk all about it. Okay. It's amazing. (laughs) I'll hold you to that one. I'll hold you to that one. Um, So just a minor tidbit, both Leland and Ray have taken Mandarin. So I know that's why they're interested in this. In fact, uh, Leland did a program with, um, I think it was Stanford University at the University of Hawaii. Mm -hmm. And then Ray had um wrapped in mandarin that was part of his final assignment he he had to um do something and he and his his partner wrapped you know in in mandarin so i'm just letting you know that's their interest about your um, your play <laughs> that's interesting because i also had to rap in mandarin in my final too so that they must have wanted us to be uh c-pop stars or something <laughs> Um, I know we've taken up a bit of your time, but I wanted to end it with if you could share with our listeners where the play is going to be, all those details so we can make sure that they know where to go to see this play. Yes, You got it. The play is called You're Not Sick. Uh, it is going to be at Coa Theater on April 14th, 15th, 21st, and 22nd. All of the information is at our website, corpusproductions.org. Again, corpusproductions.org. So for the listeners who don't know where Koa Theater is at, where exactly is that located at, Mike? That is at 780 South Baratania Street. So it's like I'm, right across, oh, sorry, from like the, the police, I think the police station is like right across the street from there, that part of town, yeah. Yeah, it's a little... I think, yeah, I think I the the main police station, right? The main <laughs> police station of Baratania is right across. Okay, okay, I think yeah. I have an idea because I had never heard of Koa Theater and I think... On Baratania, further back is the Honolulu Museum, right? They have yes. the museum. Okay, yeah. Yes. So just go yes. further straight down, and it's going to exactly. be on our right hand side. Yes, so, exactly. you got it. You okay, got okay, it. okay, good. Yeah. And there's, there's, are there, are there sufficient parking for us, or is that, um, how does the parking situation work? Um, there is a big public lot just catty corner uh, across the street from it. So, and there's multiple lots around as well, like smaller lots. If um, that's difficult, just you know, if you've been around the whole uh, downtown government offices building area, you know, it's it's a little tricky. But there's parking. I will say, if um, there there, it's not ideal for um, drop off if somebody needs to be dropped off out in front. So what you should do if that is your situation, this is what I do is Bo's kitchen is right next door. And there's a little like parking lot right there. That's just right next to the theater. Um, just It's just a couple extra feet away. Um, so I'd recommend anybody who needs to be dropped off um, to go in the parking lot at Bo's kitchen. Like the parking lot has a little in and out. So it's very easy to kind of turn around right in there. And that'll get you right, right next to the theater. Okay, wonderful. I, I had to ask that because I live all the way out in Mililani, you know, I, downtown Honolulu is just <laughs> crazy. And I know yes. one of my biggest pet peeves is like, where do I find parking? You know, so I yes. just wanted to make sure just because no, I'm sure I'm not the only one. Yeah, that's yeah, just a great sure. question. There are a couple of public lots, like Mike said, like across this across the street, just a little bit further up the, the road, like just past the police station. Um, and then, yeah, there is also street parking, um, I think, available as well across the road. Yeah. And I think your website said tickets will be available soon, right? Yes. yes. Okay. Perfect. So if you're interested, make sure you go on to their website, corpusproductions.org. We will make sure we give the details on our description. And this has been Disability with Malama. My name is Leland. I'm Roxanne. And I'm Rego.
Thanks so much for listening. Aloha.